You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. We've been reading together as a church, and I pray that you've been reading along. If not, please, please, just don't worry about catching up. Just start today or tomorrow. Um, our, our, our reading plan is on the website, I believe. Uh, it may even be in your bulletin, I'm not sure. But um, it's, it, if you want to look it up, it's F260 reading plan or Foundations reading plan. Um, but we've been reading together as a church, and it's been such an enrichment to me personally to be reading the Bible uh, in my personal devotions in, in this text. And then I get to breakfast and lead my family and family worship in the same text. And then when we get Sunday morning, one of those texts that we studied that week is what's going to be the sermon. And the, the call to worship is from those readings, and the scripture reading is from those readings. I feel so unified, like my Christian experience, my whole week, is just connected. Does anybody else feel that way? It's been a blessing. So I pray that you've been doing that. If not, just feel free to start today. Don't worry about the rest of it. You, you'll, you'll have hopefully the rest of your life to read that and catch up, but, but just pick up. Uh, this week and join us as we read together um, God's Word. But a few weeks ago, and maybe it's a month or two ago, we read a story in, in uh, I believe it was in 2 Samuel. Um, yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 12. There's a story of, of, of King David and the prophet Nathan who confronts King David in this story. And David is in the midst of, oh, there's my water bottle. I'm just going to collect several water bottles up here if that's all right with you guys. Um, David is in the midst of the greatest national cover-up in the history of the nation of Israel. David has um, lusted after and then committed adultery with the wife of Uriah, one of his mighty men, the greatest, one of the greatest betrayals that we read about in Scripture. And to cover that up, she, well, she turns out gets pregnant, so to cover the whole thing up, one thing leads to another, and David is guilty of the murder of Uriah the Hittite. He cover, but he, he murders Uriah to cover it up and then takes Bathsheba as his own wife such that when the baby is born, uh, nobody notices uh, at that point who the father is. He's, everybody just assumes it's David. And David is off the hook. Or so he thinks. And he is confronted by the prophet Nathan and Nathan tells him this story. He just leads with it. And the story goes something like this. Uh, he, he tells a story about two sheep herders. One uh, has this, uh, one is very, very poor. Uh, he may only have one lamb, but he has very few lambs anyway. Um, and he has this one lamb and he loves it. Uh, uh, he takes care of it. He, he's raised it from, from, a, from a baby. Um, he loves this. I mean, he, it says he loves it like his own daughter. It's very precious. And the rich man has tons of sheep. But the rich man has company over. He wants to slaughter one for the meal. And instead of picking one of the countless sheep that he has, he steals the sheep of the poor man, the one that he loved like a daughter. 
And so Nathan tells David this story, and David is outraged. He is beyond livid. And he says, that person should be put to death. And Nathan says, you are that man. And David's entire world turns upside down. He realizes he's not gotten away with it, that the Lord God knows everything, that, that, that God followed and knew, knew every moment and every detail of that sin, and that, um, and that as a result, uh, God, God, God was calling him unto repentance. Uh, and, and honestly, there was judgment coming uh, that uh, he would eventually lose his child. Uh, his unborn, his new, newborn child would, be, would die because of his sin. And um, David's only response is, I have sinned against the Lord. So Nathan tells him this story to get him all revved up, only to point that anger inwards at himself. I believe that the book of Jonah is intended to serve the same purpose in our lives. That when we read it, that we are outraged, angry at Jonah for his hatred and honestly uh, his, his flippancy and hatred and he's, he's anger at, angry at Jonah, and um, so, so that we become angry at Jonah, and then realize we are Jonah, hence the title of the message, and that we are outraged at ourselves. So here, I'm going to give you all three points up front, so if you're a, a note taker, this takes all the pressure off, that you can just listen the whole rest of the time. Um, but the first thing that we're going to see from the text is that we need to be outraged by Jonah, the second thing is that we need to realize that we are Jonah. And the last thing we're going to see is that there is grace for us uh, in that. So well, let's look at this text together. We'll read it um, uh, together. We're in Jonah chapter 4. Um, so if, you, if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you, turn in or on it, whether it's on your phone or tablet or whether it's a, a old school paper noisy thing. I'm just kidding. Uh, turn in your copy of God's word to Jonah chapter four, and we're gonna read together. Uh, verse one it says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a generous and, generous and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. The sun was rising. God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow, 
It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? This is the word of the Lord. So, so we walk through this text together. Right off the bat, excuse me. Right off the bat, we reread that Jonah was displeased. I think that's a, that's a weak word at this moment. He's displeased with God. The, the, the Hebrew there, there's two different prepositions pointing towards a subject. So in other words, uh, saying that, 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 that Jonah is angry at it. So the ESV translates that Joseph, Jonah is angry at about it. It pointing to something else. So like, well, what's Jonah so angry about? I'm glad you asked. Jonah is angry because, uh, well, we'll start from the beginning of the story. Let's kind of remind ourselves of this story. So at the beginning, God calls Jonah and says, go to Nineveh, that great city, because the evil in that city has come to my attention. God, it's not like God didn't know about it, now he does. But it's reached a point where God will no longer tolerate it, right? So he says, go to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to destroy it. Now, what, what does Jonah do? Well, I love, uh, we, we read, we've read as a family the Jesus Storybook Bible together. And I love, there's this picture in the Jesus Storybook Bible where there's a sign and it says Nineveh and not Nineveh. Because <laughs> it's irrelevant what the name of the other city is, but in this case, it's Tarshish. We don't really need to know that much about Tarshish, except that it's not Nineveh, right? So, so God calls him to go to Nineveh and he doesn't go. He goes elsewhere, right? Well, he tries to anyway. He boards a ship. Uh, God, and it's funny how, it's not funny, I love it how the whole book, it makes a point to say that, that God is the agent or the cause of all the things in Jonah, Jonah's life. God said, made this happen. God sent this wind. God sent this storm. God sent this fish. God set up this plant. It is always God working in the book. Um, but anyway, God sent a storm. And through some circumstances that uh, the, the men of the ship got together, they realized that Jonah was, in fact, the reason the storm was there. And they say, Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah finally just says, throw me overboard. So they do. They throw Jonah overboard. And this huge, and God sends this huge fish. Now, this is the part of the story everybody remembers. It's in every children's book on the planet. Uh, there's paintings about it, flannel graphs, you name it. We love to talk about the fish. But the interesting thing about the story is the fish is like one verse of the whole book. There's four chapters, and there's one verse that talks about the fish. So maybe that's part of the story, but maybe that's not the center of the story. But nonetheless, God appoints the fish, fish swallows Jonah up, and this is the, the part we get all hung up about, because how could the fish be so big? I don't know, God did it. He does that, right? So anyway, swallows Jonah up, and for three days, Jonah's in the belly of this whale. And we, we have Jonah's prayer documented, what he prayed out to God, he called out to God, and, and honestly in worship, which is kind of a funny place to call out to God in worship, and says that salvation comes from God alone. And, he, and, and it sort of implied repentance, like he's, he's sorry, <laughs> he's in the belly of this fish, he's at his end. He even says, I cry out from Sheol. Sheol is that Hebrew word uh, that, that they use to just talk about death in general. Sort of a doctrine of heaven and hell is really difficult to discern from the Old Testament. The New Testament's a lot clearer on those two things, but they generally just use the word Sheol to describe death in general. 
so, 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 so Jonah is dead as far as he's concerned for three days, but he, but he calls out to God and God uh, uh, repent, uh, relents. God doesn't repent, God relents. He allows Jonah out of the fish. The fish spits him out onto, the, onto dry land and immediately Jonah makes a beeline for Nineveh, okay? It's about time, right? Um, and, and, he goes, and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches. And, and the, the message that he preaches is by no means one that's going to draw a huge crowd, right? Jonah has no future as a megachurch pastor because the message that Jonah preaches is, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> that's not the kind of message that just makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside and want to, you know, just run, out the, run, up, run, run the aisle for the invitation, right? <laughs> that's pretty hopeless. So Jonah says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And, and what happens? The people of Nineveh repent. Of all people, this nation who was so evil that God just couldn't stand it any longer and was going to destroy the place. From the greatest to the least, from the king to the lowest servant, tear their clothes and repent in dust and ashes. They put uh, sackcloth on. They, they, they prescribe a fast for the entire nation, including the animals. This is a pretty thorough repentance for the nation of Nineveh. And what does God do? He forgives them. He relents from the coming disaster. He says, I will not destroy you. Then we get, that's the last verse of chapter 3. And we begin the first verse of chapter 4, and Jonah is displeased and grew angry. Why? Because of God's mercy. He's furious. God, Jonah is displeased because God didn't destroy Nineveh. Jonah wanted him destroyed. But God didn't do it. So he's, he's displeased and he's growing in anger all the more. He even states explicitly his, the source of his anger. Listen to this. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? Of course God knew what he was thinking and he knew because Jonah actually didn't say the reason he fled, but he's thinking it. God knows, and he knows that God knows. Isn't this what I was thinking when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Doesn't that phrase normally give you hope? Isn't that supposed to be a good thing? That God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? We, the Bible talks about that all the time in super positive light, but Jonah is furious about the mercy of God. It kills him. Can't stand it. Why? Because he hates the Ninevites. Can't stand them. He doesn't really tell us why. Uh, he doesn't, doesn't, I don't know if we have a, he has any sort of vendetta against them, if, if maybe his parents were killed by a Ninevite or something, or maybe they just had a bad reputation. I don't know. It, the Bible doesn't really tell us why, apart from that, that had come to God's attention, the level of evil that they had reached. That's the only thing we know about it, right? So we could speculate why Jonah was so mad, whether it was righteous anger, he just felt like they deserved to die, or whether it was just not realizing what that would mean if God were to destroy them. But he knew what that meant. You and I know what that means. 
When we looked at the book, book of Joshua, we saw to the extent as to which how God's wrath plays out on a people. When God calls Joshua and the nation of Israel to conquer a people, they say no prisoners, no mercy. Everyone, man, woman, child, dog, cat, rat, is annihilated. The city is razed to the ground, not a stone on a stone, like it never existed. Matter of fact, when Jericho was destroyed, it said, may no one ever build this city back again ever, or they'll be cursed. Interestingly enough, they did. I was just thinking about that a minute ago. But there is a curse. You know, so, so God, when his wrath pours out, there is nothing left. And that's his righteous anger. He has every right to do that, right? And Jonah knew that. That's what Jonah wanted. He wanted the people of, Israel, the people of Nineveh to be wiped from the earth. What kind of a person honestly feels that way? Jonah is angry at God. He resents God's mercy towards others in verse 2. Jonah is flippant about life and death. When we look at the text again and again and again, I wish I could just die. He uses that all the time. That's his, like, go-to curse, right? When, 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 when Jonah uh, gets angry, he's like, I'm mad enough to die. I've never even heard of that expression. I've never used that expression. I've been mad enough to kill somebody else, but never mad enough to just kill over dead. I don't even know what that's like. Uh, what is that kind of anger that makes you want to just keel over and die? But that's the kind of anger he felt. When, when, the, when God appoints this plant to grow up in his amazing mercy and kindness, right? Because Jonah doesn't, not, not only does Jonah not deserve comfort of any kind, but the kind of hatred he's showing towards the people of Nineveh, he deserves the faith that they had. But God, in his love and mercy and steadfast love, appoints this plant to grow up to give him shade, right? But then he takes the plant away, this worm eats it, and it falls down. And, and this wind comes, it's scorching east wind, and Jonah's like, I just want to die. It's so hot, I just want to die. I've, I've come close to feeling that this week. Our air conditioner at home is on the fritz. And so I've come close to that moment where I just like, uh, I, but I've never come all the way to the moment where like, I just wish I could die. I've been some pretty hot places, right? I spent some time on the equator, in the desert. I've been pretty hot, but I don't think I've ever been to the point where I've said, I wish I could die. And then when, 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 the, when the plant dies, and God says, are you angry about the plant? Are you right to be angry about the plant? God says, yes, I am angry enough to die. At a plant? God's like, really? A plant? That's, we, might, we might even call that the theme of the book of Jonah. Really? A plant? Why is he so angry? He's angry because this guy hates the people of Nineveh more than he has words to even express. We go on. God continues to question with these rhetorical questions. Are you right to be angry? Really? 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 Are you right to be angry, Jonah? And then um, Jonah's not getting it. But he snaps at God. Yes, I'm angry, angry enough to die. And so then, so Jonah just in his anger, so God says, are you, are you, are you, are you right to be angry? And it's funny because in verse, in verse four, it says, the Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? In some, some translations, they put like a paragraph break right there and there's like a little space. 
And I almost think like there's this, because Jonah never responds in that particular instance. It's just the very next verse, it says, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. So it's almost like, God's like, really, Jonah? And Jonah's like, and just walks away. He steps out of the city, and what is he going to do? He goes to sit on the sidelines and watch and see what God's going to do. Why? Because he's still hoping, against all hope, that God will just annihilate him. And he'll be there to laugh it off. What kind of a person? He's, he's going to see a what, what, what will happen to them. He's still hoping that God's going to destroy them. What kind of a person is this? Jonah's heart is gladdened by the plant in the midst of, of this dark, dark time. And he's like, oh, thank God for this plant. Oh, this plant is so great. And then immediately, it takes the plant away, and he's right back where he was again. So, so Jonah, here's what I want you to see here. And by way of example, somebody posted on Facebook this week. I was telling somebody about this the other day. Uh, uh, one of those articles, and it's like a list. It's like a top 10 list, but this was 25. And it was the top 25 worst villains of all time in movies, like movie villains. It's like, this is interesting. I'm kind of a movie buff, so I'm scrubbing through. And some of them are like, okay, I totally get why that one's on the list. I think about like Hannibal Lecter, right? That's an that's a awful, evil villain. I think about like Freddy Krueger. Oh, gross, evil villain, right? Um, and, and some other just awful, awful villains. But then there's two or three in there, I'm like, no, I don't see it. You know, the, the number one villain on the list, Darth Vader. I'm like, how many of you have seen Star Wars? The original, like the four, five, and six that came out in the 70s and 80s. Okay, cool, some of you. For those of you who don't, Darth Vader's the bad guy. There, okay. Um, but at the, at, there's a point where uh, I, I just can't put him on that list because there's a moment where his son, Luke Skywalker, spoiler alert, um, he, he, um, they're, 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 he saves them from the emperor. Like, he actually kills the emperor on behalf of his son, Luke. So there's like this redeeming moment. You're like, Darth Vader's not that bad a guy. Of course, he is a bad dude and all that. But it, I don't think he belongs on this list. Now, I got to thinking, like, why not? Well, what goes into making a good villain, a good evil person? And I thought, a continual, unwavering ill will towards the, the, the protagonist, the good guy in the story, right? Um, I think about, have you, ever, have you ever seen the movie The Patriot, the Mel Gibson uh, Revolutionary War um, movie? Um, but there's this, there's this evil general, and he literally kills the main character's son right in front of him so that he'll watch and see him. It's awful. This character is just evil. He didn't make the list. I'm like, that guy is evil. He needs to be on the list. So like there's this continual ill will towards someone that's unwavering and relentless and ruthless. That's what an evil person is like. That's Jonah. He's a prophet of the Lord, but honestly, he's not a very good one. I mean, in fact, he's probably the only prophet that we read about that is consistently a negative example. Normally, you know, prophets are somebody that we admire. I think about the great faith of Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah. They, you know, they, they were able to, do, to, 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 to speak the word of God in, in, a, in a time where it was not cool to speak the word of God. But Jonah just hates it, right? So hopefully at this point in the story, if I've done my job, you hate Jonah. Everybody on board? What a jerk, Right? Okay, so this is, where, this is where it gets ugly. Because 
I believe if we look at Jonah, we see so much of ourselves. Like Jonah is a case study of the logical conclusion to our laziness, myself included, in evangelism, right? And here's, uh, let me explain that. So, so first we need to be appalled and outraged by Jonah, and then we need to see that we are in fact Jonah. Jonah is the person in the story that we ought to identify with, at least in part. Um, it's fun in a, in a story to identify as the good guy, right? David and Goliath, we're David, right? No, we're the Israelites saying, you can't do that. <laughs> it's, it's much more helpful to you, and I think much more biblical, to when you read a story, identify with the bad guy, because you're probably it. I'm probably it. Um, that's where we learn where we belong in God's presence, and that's why we can appreciate the love and grace that he shows us. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we see that we are, in fact, Jonah. When we look at the story, for one, is there a category of person that you would rather God not save? Now, I would think, probably, most of you would say, oh, no. No, I want God to save everybody. Well, I, I would say that too. But I wonder, is there a category of person that you're inclined to stay away from for one reason or another? Now, I mean, I'm not talking about for safety reasons, legitimate safety reasons. I'm not talking about the bad influence they might be in your life. There's a time and a place for those sort of things. But is there a kind of person that you would just rather not be around? For some, um, people from other cultures make them nervous. Um, not not sort of know how to interact with them, and that's not an evil thing per se. Uh, but for many, um, for, for many in our nation, I, really, I firmly believe um, I, that there is, a, there's, there is a still a root of racism in the heart of many of our people. Now we think to ourselves, well, uh, slavery's over, Jim Crow's over, and to some extent that's true, and I pray that maybe in your heart, I pray that maybe the, 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 the travesty of what our nation was guilty of in the past towards other races, most especially blacks, I, I, I hope that that is over in our hearts, even if it's not over on a national level yet. But there are others, whether it's because of, because of their race or because of their social economic status. These are, these are people maybe that don't, they don't wear the same clothes you do. They don't have the same uh, hygienic habits that you do. Um, one of the things I see, honestly, I still see um, in, in, in a lot of people's comments, and, and I'm not talking about you per se, but just the, our nation on Facebook and Twitter and things like that, regarding Muslims, frankly. Um, I think there's a lot of, now, a lot of, of ungodly ill will toward them. Because, uh, now am I saying that these people believe the truth and that they're, that, that they're going to heaven? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is one God and it is, Allah is not his name. His name is Jesus Christ. But that should not cause us to hate that person, but instead to be pouring out compassion towards them and to love them and to share the gospel with them, but certainly not to be afraid of them. Now, I think it's easy for some of us to slip into that, because when we read the news, frequently, all we seem to hear about are what people are doing in the name of Islam, right? The sort of the terrorists that claim that they're following the, the, the Quran. Now, we might say one way or the other whether they are following it or whether they aren't, 
but it doesn't change the fact that not everyone is doing that. As uh, in my personal experience, I've spent a whole lot of time in a predominantly Muslim country, and I, I gotta say, they're generally more hospitable than we are. I found a lot more kindness coming from them, a lot more, more love and acceptance, and honestly, openness to the gospel, thank God. These are not a people that we should hate. Now, as a nation, do we need to protect ourselves against those who would hurt us? Absolutely. But as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, as one who's been brought from death and to life, there is no room in our heart for hatred at all. And we might not even say that we hate them, but think about the way that you behave towards them. Think about the way that you egg on conversation about them. If, if you're, you know, it's one thing to talk about the evils that are done, but it's another thing to talk about a, a whole group of people who are not guilty of that thing. Even though maybe even their religion teaches that thing, that thing, they are not guilty of that thing. And even if they were, to be honest, apart from keeping ourselves safe from danger, we need to love them. They need Jesus too. And that is no different from the evil that the Ninevites had, had, had perpetrated against God, and God forgave the entire nation for that. So I pray that our hearts would break for the lostness in people and not hate them. Now, I would think most of us probably don't think we hate people, but here's the other question. If, if, if that, that mindset keeps us from them, if we're not near them, if we're not friends with them, if we're not hanging out with them in some degree, can we share the gospel with them? No. If, if, they, if we can't be near them, we cannot speak to them. If we cannot speak to them, they will not hear. If they do not hear the gospel, they will not believe, and they will see the same eternity that Jonah was hoping the Ninevites would see. So whether we do it on purpose or whether we do it tacitly, when we don't love and share the gospel with someone, we are hating them into the gates of hell. There was a, an incredibly gripping video that was on, or on the internet years past um, of, of a man named Penn Gillette. He's, a, he's an entertainer uh, in Las Vegas. I think he's actually a magician. Uh, outspoken atheist. As far as I know, this guy has never converted. He's still an outspoken atheist, as far as I know. But at least he was when this video was made. But he tells a story about a guy who, who tried to share the gospel with him, and he was compelled by this guy. He didn't trust in Christ, but he was compelled by the love of this man who was telling him about Jesus and gave him a Bible. And, and he's thinking, and, he's, and he says in this little video, he says, unbeliever, outspoken atheist. He says, how much do you have to hate a person not to tell them they're going to hell unless they repent? This is an unbeliever, a hater of God. How much, if, if I, he said, if I were sitting on a track, a train track, and there was a train coming that you knew and I didn't, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me? that that train is coming. Most of us would like to say that we would jump and, and run and knock him out of the way if we could. How much more so someone who, is, who will die and will go to a godless and excruciating eternity unless we tell them, how much must we hate them to allow that? Now, now, now Jonah was doing it on purpose. We're doing it maybe by accident, but the result is the same. So motivated by love, will we go where God tells us to go? Will we speak to the one whom God tells us to speak to? 
or will we hate them and let them go into the, sin, the, the godless eternity to which they are headed? So now we're to a place where we say, oh, I have failed in this. I have failed. What do we do? Well, the beauty of, of the, the, the gospel is the grace that God has for us. You see, we identify with Jonah in, 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 in many ways. One in, is, is in our failure to bring the word of God to the nations. But another one is that time, that one verse about the time he spent in the fish. Now, I, I tried to, to make little of that to point to, to the, the, the trajectory of the whole book, which is Jonah's hatred of the people of Nineveh and their uh, needing to hear the gospel and needing to hear the word of God. And, but there's an interesting point when Jonah is in the fish. Uh, for one, I said he cried out as from Sheol, from death. Jonah saw his time in the fish as death. What's interesting is Jesus makes reference to that time in the, in the gospel. Jesus says that when somebody asks him, give us a sign, Jesus, tell us who you are and, and, and that you're God, help us to understand. And Jesus said, the only one sign will I give to you. He says, I give you the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. So Jesus thought of Jonah's time in the whale, in the fish, as death. So if that's death, and Jonah came back out again, what is Jesus saying about the sign of Jonah? Jesus is saying that he is going to be spat back out of the grave, just like God appointed Jonah to be spat out of that fish. And if we have turned from our sins and we have trusted in Christ alone for salvation, we, God has commanded death to spit us back out again in the same way. Because of the power of God over sin and death, we who were once dead in our sins and trespasses, we who were, were, were eaten up by the fish, crying out to God, he heard us and he had that fish spit us back out again. We were dead and now we're alive. Isn't that amazing? How can we then not tell everyone what has happened? We were dead. But nonetheless, um, we, like Jonah, have, 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 have been negligent in this area. So I told you we identify with Jonah in, 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 his, in his negligence of, 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 of loving the people of Nineveh and of bringing the, the message to them. We're, we're like Jonah in the sense that we, um, we were in the belly of, in the death like Jonah was and we were brought into life again like Jonah was. Um, but there's a, there's a way, there's another character in the story who is like us. You know who it is? It's the Ninevites. Because all of us were outside of the nation of Israel. All of us were in sin and death and all of us deserve to be wiped from the face of the earth. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgave us. We were guilty of the same evils that caused God to act on Nineveh and have the same God who forgave the Ninevites. And if he can forgive the Ninevites, he can forgive me and he can forgive you. And he forgives Jonah again and again. That plant that he appointed to grow up, to cover him, he did that to say, the, the word says, to rescue him from his troubles. God is still rescuing Jonah, even though that, heart, that hatred has not left his heart. 
And God will rescue you if you call out to him. He will rescue him. He will rescue you from your hatred. And he will rescue you from your negligence and evangelism. And he will rescue you from your sins. Because he is steadfast in his love and abounding in faithfulness. He is slow to anger. And he is quick to forgive. Our God is so loving. And it is that love as one who has been brought from death to life that should motivate us um, to bring the gospel to the places he's calling us to go. When I was a kid, my father and I didn't get along all that well. Um, we do now. Uh, he, it's one of those things, and maybe it's a rite of passage for a man when he turns 25 to realize his dad is actually the smartest man on the planet. Uh, I wish it hadn't taken 25 years to figure that out, but I come to find out that we're, like, the reason we didn't get along was we're the same person, right? Um, and so we didn't get along all that well, but um, when I was a kid, I used to have nightmares. I'd, I would go to sleep, and I'd have nightmares that something would happen to my dad, and he died. And I would wake up weeping because my dad was gone, and then I'd realize he's not. And then I realized, sort of like Ebenezer Scrooge after a Christmas carol, that I had, still had time. I had an opportunity to get up and go, and I would wake up, um, and my dad and I would have breakfast together before he'd go to work, and then I would go to school, and I would wake up and run to breakfast, and I would wrap my arms around my dad and, and tell him I'm sorry. He didn't have any idea why I was sorry, just because I was mad at him for something or other. But he didn't know. But I, I just woke up from that nightmare and realized there was still time to love him and to obey him. I pray that as we finish this nightmare in Jonah, that we would wake up from that nightmare and say, we still have a chance. We have been obsessed with our comfort like Jonah was under that, under that tree. We have been uh, disobedient to God. We've not gone when he's called us to go. But we can wake up from that nightmare and we can go and we can follow him and we can know the joy that there is in obedience to God. Um, so I pray that we would wake up from that nightmare and look around us because when, when God finally snaps at Jonah after he says, I'm so angry I could die about the plant, and, and, and God says this, and listen to this. God says, because obviously he says it better, so you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right from their left, as well as many animals. I don't know why he threw that in there, but it did. It's funny. It's a funny way to end a book. It's the last words. Uh, the ESV says, and so much cattle. It's the last words of Jonah. Um, but Jonah cared more about that comfort than he did about the fact that 120,000 people were going to go to hell. Well, I tell you this, a couple of things. One, do you know how many people there are in Boone County? 127,000 people. And I was speaking with our, our director of missions yesterday, and he said 68% of northern Kentucky is lost. So just in our county, whatever 68% of that is, well, I was trying to draw a better comparison. So if you actually you take the entire northern Kentucky uh, Baptist Association area, which is all northern Kentucky, so it'll be Boone, Campbell, and um, Kenton, thank you. Boone, Campbell, and Kenton counties together. Together, you take 68% of that, and you've got a little over 100,000 people. Well, you actually have well over 100,000 people um, who do not know, spiritually speaking, their right hand from their left. You don't have to cross 
the Mediterranean Sea to get to them. They're in your office. They go to your gym. They're in your school. They're in your home. Will you go and tell them? Will you love them in that way? But for many of us, I think about that on a much larger scale. There are people groups in this world that are in the millions who do not know their left hand from their right. And the difference between this place and that one is you're here. There is a church here. A lot of people ask me, you know, why do we spend so much money on missions overseas or in other states when there's so much to do here? Well, you're right about the so much to do here. There is. But it doesn't cost money here. It doesn't cost money for you to go around to the other side of your cubicle. It doesn't cost money for you to talk to your family about Jesus. It doesn't cost money for you to take your headphones out, sorry, I need to do this, in the gym and talk to the guy working out next to you. It doesn't cost money. You know what it costs? Comfort. It's awkward. But guess what? Because if you don't tell them, they won't know. And they'll reach the same destiny that Nineveh was headed for. So will you love them? And will you tell them? So, if he can bring Jonah out of the fish, spit Jonah out of the fish, if he can bring Jesus out of the grave, if he can bring you out of the grave, don't you think he can do that for your coworker? If he got to you, <laughs> if you listened, and you were compelled by the gospel story, and you believed, don't you think your neighbor will too? Will we go to the ones who do not know their left hand from their right? And will we tell them? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be faithful. Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that as we um, try to go where we're called, wherever you lead, Father, I pray, uh, in our, in, in, for many of us, it's in our homes and in our workplaces. Lord, I pray that you would burden us for the, for the trajectory that the lost people around us are on and for the trajectory that the lost people of unreached people groups uh, in, in, in Africa and Asia Father, that if we don't go, they will not hear. And if they don't hear, they will not believe. And if they do not believe, they will experience the brunt of your wrath. I pray that that love for neighbor would, would, would motivate us to go. Lord, if there is someone here, Father, who, who has not yet even been brought from death into life, has not been spat out of the fish themselves, I pray that... Uh, that the love that you have for us would motivate them to turn from their sins as the Ninevites did and to, to, to repent and to say, unless you forgive, I will die because I know that you will forgive them just like Jonah did. I pray that that would happen today. Lord, convict us of our sin and mobilize us for the nations both around us and across the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.